Well, we're going to look at uh, Matthew today and uh, begin actually um, here in chapter 17 with a series that's in some ways is going to actually be finished up. We'll actually do that in the fall. So this is the last one we're going to do in Matthew for the summer. And then we're going to do some other things. But beginning in the fall, we're going to start this series back up. So I know some of you have enjoyed this gospel of Matthew. Um, I have. God has spoke to my heart in, in ways that have uh, profoundly moved me spiritually. One of the things, though, I want to just begin by asking, as I did in the first service, how many would consider yourself a law, just a good law-abiding citizen? If, if you do, raise your hand, would you? And, you know, oh, you're better than the first service. Man, no, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. I want, I'm going to just do kind of a little quiz. Key. You know, up. No, not, not this little thing. Come on, let's. Okay, if you're a law-abiding citizen, let me, uh, the first thing I'm going to ask you is how many, maybe this last week, went over the, the actual suggested speed limit? I say suggested. If you did, put your hand down, please. Okay. <laughs> law-abiding citizen, keep your hands up. How many have um, jaywalked in their life? If you've jaywalked, you know, Put your hand down. Okay. Now of those of you remaining, do we have anybody remaining? Well, we had one, I think, in the first service. And I, and I said, you know, okay, now for those of you who are the kind of people when it comes to your taxes, you can't stand loopholes. You are the kind of loophole closer person that when you see those taxes, you go, people shouldn't do that. I'm paying money for that because I want the government to have that. And I asked how many um, do that, and we didn't have any hands at that point. Um, <clears throat> So we are a bunch of rule breakers here. This whole topic today is about what it means to be under the law of God and the law of the land and what it means to be, I believe, good citizens as as a, a body. What we have been finding is Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 16. We start in those first few verses and he comes to the edge of the shore and they have sent a religious delegation. You would think the conservative element of the Jewish faith would be the ones most looking for the return of this or for the coming of the Messiah. And yet it is the it is the kind of, um, I believe, spiritually centered, at least as it was looked on by society that day, group of people that couldn't see the spirit, which was who was all over Jesus. He was all over Jesus in his ministry, but they were blind to it. And Jesus, at that point in his ministry, to these highly credentialed religious authorities, says, in a sense, I'm done. It says he left and he, and he basically said, I'm not doing this any longer. It's almost two and a half years where he has sought to help them come along, understand, and they've quizzed him and they've done all these things. And now he turns, in a sense, it almost he turns his back, he leaves. It says that he leaves, and as he leaves... He turns to his disciples. He turns not just to his twelve, but some of those who are close around him. So, but most of this seems to be the twelve. And he turns to them and he begins to train them. He's got six months to train them to understand. And so he brings them up to this place called Mount Hermon, where Caesarea Philippi is, this city up in the north. And he, he does the first thing, because the first thing that's important for anybody who will follow Jesus is to know who Jesus is. So he asks them a question of identity. Who am I? And they seem to, at least one of them gets it, and so the other ones kind of begin to understand. And as he takes them along the journey, he begins to start sharing with them what the Messiah must do, which is really difficult. You might get an idea of who he is, but now you've got to understand what he's come to do. And he didn't come 
to force, manipulate, to somehow move through the laws of the land of Jerusalem or Rome or through any other political system. He didn't seem to be caught up in those kind of earthly things. He came to self-reveal the heart of God through a sacrificial kind of love that would give his life and giving his life would capture the hearts of people. And those are the kind of things that he was trying to get across to him. So as he was walking along, he brings them up to another place, takes three of them up to the top of this mountain, and he lets them see these three, who he is in all his glory. In a sense, who was the, the, the Christ before he came to this earth and who this Christ would be after he leaves this earth. So they could see without a doubt, this is God in flesh. And he comes down from that mountain. As he comes down from that mountain... His nine disciples are there. They're trying to heal a person. They don't have enough faith because what they find out is this kind of thing can only be removed by what the Word of God says through faith and in some through prayer and then some say fasting. The idea is not some mechanical prayers and some kind of fasting makes this happen. It is this idea. It is the person who lives in the presence of God. When those kind of moments come up, when you're in the presence of God, the opportunity for the power of God to manifest itself will happen in faith. Even if it's as small as a mustard seed. And so he calls us to be people. When he talks about good citizens, the kind of people so filled with the presence of God, because we do things that are disciplines, that are, in a sense, things that you normally do to stay spiritually healthy. And sometimes there's some occasions where you need to do it even more so, when you're calling upon God to get your heart in such a position to be able to do the kind of things that God wants you to do. So that when you live in this world, people see you so full of the presence of God. They see the presence of God empowering you to be a joyful person, to be the kind of person that fills with peace. Because when these kind of delays happen that we had shared with us here and you're going through a waiting process and things at work aren't going well or things in your home aren't going well they look at this person who is very real very down to earth very human but they find in him resonating within him this peace and this power and this presence of God that can only be established because of him and then they're attracted that's who we're becoming that's, that's every person who says, I want to follow Jesus with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might, with all my strength, with all my mind. You have that opportunity. We have that opportunity. Not to be a church that has lots of people coming to it and, and maybe large programs necessarily. But the people that, that demonstrate that kind of reality and when that happens, people are attracted to that. And they're attracted to this God who you know. And so here is these disciples and Jesus is talking about the presence of God. Now he has these disciples in his hand. He's talked about the need for the disciple to live in the presence of God by faith, demonstrating even a small mustard seed faith, what it means to be connected to him through prayer and fasting and other disciplines of his word and things such as that. So that now you begin to live out your life. And what's the first thing he does? He turns around and he says, here's how you need to live as people within citizens of the land that you live. This is like six months before Jesus goes to die and then to be raised and then to ascend. He wants almost to take these disciples through what I call a senior year intensive. That's what this is. So as we start looking at these next passages of Scripture in the fall, you're going to see he's going to talk about what it means to be great. He's going to talk about relationships and forgiveness and, and how you get restored relationships. And he's going to go into marriage. He's going to talk about a whole bunch of things. It's all about you disciples and your senior, your intensive. These next six months, I'm going to train you to understand what it means, not just to know what the rabbi knows, not just to think like the rabbi thinks, but to do what the rabbi do, does and to live as the rabbi lives so that you can do the same for others. 
And that passed that on generation after generation. And so if you look at this passage of Scripture, this is one of these first times when he says, Let's, okay, I've talked to you about living in the presence of God, what it means so that you can have the power of God being demonstrating itself through you in your life, both your character and in the do- deeds that you do. Now, verse 24, we'll start with 22. This story, though, that we're looking at is only found here in Matthew. And it's really one of those peculiar stories in the gospel. And I was reading it, I was going, God, how does this fit into what you're doing? Matthew, why would you include this story? But it's really interesting. Jesus reveals his attitude to political power of his day, and he, in the same sense, tells us how we are to live within the world, political system, powers of this day. So he says, when they came together in Galilee, see, they were up there in Galilee, he said to them, Son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And disciples were filled with grief. They just didn't get it. They still didn't get it. They, they, they weren't sure who he was, and they really were struggling with what he came to do. And after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Oh, yes, he does, Peter replied. And when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or, the, or from others? Well, from others, Peter answered. She, you know, he's on this, this is senior intensive, right? He's getting some, already getting some questions asked. Peter answers. And Jesus says, you're right. Then... If that's the case, the children are exempt. And Jesus said to him, but so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts. We want to be good citizens, not out of some self-righteous sense. We want to be attractive citizens for the sake of the kingdom of God. Amen. So they come together in Galilee. They're making their way along. They come into the region of Galilee. They've gone up the mountain. They've come down the mountain. They make their way into Capernaum, as it says here in verse 24. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two <coughs> dragon tax came to Peter. I think what they had is this long road trip, and as they get back to Peter's home, Peter ends up, where they would stay in Peter's home, and his mother-in-law and his wife would be there, and Peter walks in, and she goes, Oy vey, why don't you tell us you're coming? They didn't have cell phones, they didn't have a way to cable anything, they had no idea. We don't have any food in the house. I'm kind of writing between the lines here. Anyway, Peter goes out to get the groceries. And on his way to get the groceries, when you would go into marketplaces or you would take the road that would get you there, there would often be these little tax booths. And in those tax booths, this is not the publican tax of a person who's, who's gathering for the Roman um, tax. This is the person who's gathering now for the temple tax, for the one that was for the Jewish people. And so he comes up to Peter and he says, Peter, I kind of noticed, buddy, and it doesn't matter if you've been away for a couple of months, you still have to pay your taxes. But I'm really wondering about you guys. I'm wondering about this new rabbi. Is this new rabbi above the law? Does he not, does this new rabbi um, consider him, is he kind of rebelling against the Jewish system? Not only the Roman system, but the Jewish system? Who is this guy and who are you guys? Doesn't your rabbi pay the tax? And Peter's response is is immediate, right? What I think is interesting is that... um, as you, as, you, as you look at this um, first, what I call question, it's the question I think the world asks 
as they watch your life, as they watch my life. It is the kind of question that says, what kind of citizen are you? What kind of citizen is the kind of person who claims to follow Jesus? What does that life look like? Well, here's the temple tax, Exodus chapter 30, verse 11. This is what he was collecting for. It says, each one who crosses over, and you could put in there the Jordan, because that's what they're talking about, to those already counted. They would take a census. They would count the people before they went over the Jordan into the promised land. And he says, they're to give a half shekel according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 geras. This half shekel is an offering to the Lord. All who cross over, and then he says those 20 years old or more, so this is the age requirement, are to give an offering to the Lord. The rich are not to give more than a half shekel, and the poor are not to give less than what you make. uh, Less. And when you make the offering to the Lord, it's to atone for your lives. Receive the atonement money from the Israelites and catch this, use it for the service of the tent of meeting. This was a collection for their own pave the way project. It was the way that they would keep up the sanctuary and the, and the house of God and the things of God. So when people came in, they go, well, they must, they must really care about their God because they take care of these things. And so it was in that way they actually taxed the, the Jewish people. And so this is what this tax is. And so it's a very important question that he is asking. It's a very important question that he wants to know. Is this Jesus? This rabbi, you followers, followers of the law. The half shekel is an interesting thing. If you want to do a study of coins, have at it. I'm just going to merely mention to you that the two drachma coin or the half shekel they talk about here was due to inflation not being minted anymore. And so when you read this, you find out it says two drachma coin, and he, Jesus says, go get a four drachma coin. The reason he says four drachma coin, because at that time in the history of the nation, they were making payments with a four drachma coin, because they didn't have two drachma coins, and they would often, with a neighbor or someone, double up and pay one coin for the two of them. And so Jesus says, go out there. or You have this question, do you guys pay this half shekel? And what I want you to think about for a second is what kind of citizen you are. Because people watch your life, they watch what you say, they, they watch how you speak about our president, they watch how you speak about the leaders in our government, they watch how you, you, you know what they watch? They watch your attitude with regard to what you think even of the nation. And all that stuff has an impact on people. They ask in a sense, who really is in charge? Who do you really think is in charge? Is it, is, are we living for this nation and this, this political system alone? Or is, are, is there maybe a, someone else greater in charge that you live with a sense of peace and a sense of calmness, even in the midst of things when you look at it don't seem to be going the way you want it to go? Doesn't mean that you shouldn't feel frustrated. Doesn't mean that you can't, you can't um, experience that. But the question is, what does that mean to other people around you? Now note this, there's a principle. There's a question, what kind of citizen you are. Here's the principle. We are not earthly citizens. If you look at verses 25 and 26 to the question, does your rabbi pay taxes? Peter's answer is is without hesitation. Yes, he does. And it makes me wonder, is he answering out of fear? Is he answering out of the need of some approval? Why is he answering? But one of the things you know is that he knew that throughout the course of the life of Jesus, he paid his temple tax because they had done it the year or two before. So here they're at this situation and he's asking this question and Peter's response is immediate. And though Peter's answer is correct, it's still misguided. Which is an amazing thing because Jesus somehow understood and saw this even though he wasn't with him. 
In a sense, Peter is saying, Jesus is a good Jew. Of course he is. In every respect, he's a good Jew. Jesus is under the law of the Jews. Catch that? Jesus is under the law of the temple system. Jesus is under the law of this whole mosaic Torah. And again, Jesus is always changing our limited and incomplete understanding of who he is and what he's about to do. And uh, Peter enters the house with a bag of groceries and is about to put them down and Jesus asks. And I think it's really interesting that Jesus had just changed his name to Peter, but in occasions, would you read through Scripture, whenever Jesus is talking to Peter because Peter is reacting out of his flesh, he's reacting out of what comes natural, not out of what is spiritual, what is really in relationship to God. He's not reacting out of this sense of his confidence of being this child of God. When he's reacting to this, Jesus says, Simon, calls him by his old name. You'll find it throughout Scripture. And so he says to him, Simon, what are you thinking? You ever find it interesting that God seems to be one step ahead of you? You know, I think what happens in this situation, Peter's coming in and he looks perplexed. He's probably anxious. He's probably been wrestling with this thought, ruminating in his mind, how do I talk to Jesus about this? Do I confront Jesus about the temple tax? Should I just go down myself and pay the tax? You know, I ask Jesus questions about some of these things, and when I do ask those kind of questions, I, sometimes he's frustrated, sometimes he's sad, sometimes he comes back and says, I'm, you know, can you imagine? Peter's going, and this is going on in his mind, and Jesus is a step ahead of him. He already knows what's going on, and he says, what you're thinking, Peter? And he actually asks him a question, which is a very rabbinic way of teaching. You ask questions. It's something you should do with your kids. They'll ask you a ton of questions. It's good to ask them questions back. It's one of the ways to get the thought process logically working in someone's life and mind to think through things. So Jesus has him come in. He's, he's one step ahead of Peter. Doesn't that show you the love and care of Jesus? I, I've sat down with some people in the past year, some, a couple of people who have, have never been much in a church before, and they've come to the church and they're trying to understand what is this stuff all about. And, and in their conversation with me, they said, you know, there's something interesting here. It's, it's, it's as if God is a step ahead of me. You'll say things and it's as if it's what I need. And isn't that cool how God works? God is one step ahead of you right now. So just calm down, Peter. And let me ask you a question as we're going through their senior intensive here. What are you thinking? When a king levies taxes, who pays? His children or his subjects? In other words, when you think about it, taxes are often collected for the kingdom so that you can have armies and roadway systems and communication systems. So the taxes are collected by our government for our sake as a community and society by the subjects of that government. And in a kingdom sense, the king collected them because it was through the taxes that the king and his family were supported. So it wouldn't make sense to tax your kids. And so when he asks that question, it's a really good question. It makes a lot of sense. And Peter says right away, yeah, you know, it's for the subjects. It's not for the sons. And, and I think Jesus is going, you got it. That's right. Because he's illustrating this principle with regard to his responsibility to government. He was not under the law. You see what, he, what Peter's, Peter's response was that he's under the law. Jesus wants to make it very clear. I'm a son. I am the son. I am the king's son. There's, I don't have to pay that tax. And then he makes a really incredibly important question, statement as well. He says, those of you who are followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters in Jesus, guess what? You don't have to 
you don't have to follow the rules either of the land. Because you're not under this law of the land. You're under a different kingdom's law. And that law is important for you to understand. There is a law that supersedes these laws. Because sometimes this law may call you to do something you're not supposed to do. Sometimes this law will actually call you to do things you should do. But you need to understand, it's not this law that you are first given to. Your law is first the law that comes from the king. Every one of you are not citizens here. That is why when we look what's happening with the government and you see all this mean, I just, it just so hurts my spirit when I hear the way people speak about um, things happening in the government and the way they, there's just a mean, ugly kind of political edge to things today. And you know what helps us live above that? I'm not saying that it's not frustrating. There aren't things that, that we should be engaged in, that there aren't votes that we should be involved in. There aren't things that public policy that we should be standing up for in ways, though, that are attractive. That is beautiful. That represents this truth. Guess what? This kingdom may not last that long. This political nation that we love is in the hands of God. And so are we. And I can live with a calmness in my spirit. Because I'm not a citizen of this kingdom. Paul says it this way. The Apostle Paul, in, in his, um, his words to this principle, he says in chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, and I'll read it from the um, message. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those who you see running the same course, headed for the same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is Easy Street. They hate Christ's cross. But Easy Street's a dead-end street. Those who live to make their bellies their gods, catch it, belches are their praise. <laughs> That's so funny. And all they can think of is their appetites. <laughs> but there's far more to life for us because we live in another kingdom. We live in another realm. We live under another God who gives us the ability to stand above all this stuff because we're citizens, he says, of high heaven. We're waiting for an arrival of a Savior, the Master Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly lives and bodies into God's glorious bodies like His own. Verse 19 of chapter 3, the NIV translates this way. Their mind is set on earthly things, but guess what? Our citizenship is in heaven. So the question that's being asked by people is, is your life attractive as a citizen of this nation? And what is it that's different from, from Fox News or CNN or any other place that you hear things? What is your life like? And then they ask this question. There's a principle you need to understand. Guess what? You're not under the law. Jesus wasn't under the law. In fact, Jesus was above the law. You're above the law. You're in this sense above the law because you now have a law that is greater than those mere little laws. Now catch this, though. Here's what Jesus moves to, from a question to a principle to a goal. You want to know how the, you sh what kind of citizen you should be? We're to be model citizens. We're to be so attractive in the way we live this life that they see this God who is attractive. Verse 27 reveals the kind of life Jesus lived on this earth under this government, whether Jewish temple law or Roman government law. He says in verse 27, this is incredibly important, but so that we may not cause offense 
The goal is not to offend. Literally, the words mean to cause to stumble. We live as model citizens with the goal of pointing all people to God, His goodness, and His love. We are not by our attitudes and our actions to cause anyone to stumble. In this sense, don't live in such a way that you trip people up as a citizen of the land that you're in. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. You can look at verses 6 through 10. At one point he says, If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. But let no debt remaining outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Here, folks, is the law that we live on. Here is the goal of every believer. It is one single law. It is a law not written in some books in our government. It is not a law written by some municipal court. It is not some law that we have by man-made been given. It is a law that comes from God written on the heart for every person who acknowledges their need, confesses that their Lord and Savior is God. They now have a new king with a new law, not on tablets of stone, but on flesh that is supple and soft, the heart that says, I will love. And this law fulfills all laws out of love. And does so in a way that's attractive to people around you because they know that your God is really the God who is over the president and over every one of these things. And even if things go sour and south because people in their will and their hearts move that way, Jesus knew one thing, that you can change laws, you can move into a political process, but he chose not to go that way because he knew the only way to begin to change the heart was through a self-sacrificing, self-revealing love that would make a payment on a cross. In fact, what's so interesting about this whole thing is that Jesus, think about it, He was the one guy who didn't need to make that temple tax. He needed no atonement for His life. He lived a perfectly sinless life. There was nothing that He needed to do. But He comes to Peter and He says, Peter, go ahead, because of no offense, I am going to pay this tax. I am going to fulfill the law even in this sense, even though I don't have to make at one with God. But I will do so because I love you. And you, in fact, Peter, can be included in that tax. You, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never made your... Understood what it means to be one with God, have never moved into a forgiving relationship where you have the, the heartbeat of God beating within you. He says, Get on my four drachma coin. I will bring you into the kingdom. It's not even on your sake that that's going to happen. Which leads to this last point. Because he has this question of people asking, and, he, and, and you see this, this whole idea of. Um, of this new idea of being this model citizen, this principle that leads to the, the goal of, of living our lives in love and fulfilling every law to this lasting provision, which I think is just, it's the weirdest part for me. I remember reading this and I'm going, Jesus, this, what does this mean? Why? This is the strangest miracle that's ever done that you read in Scripture. I mean, at least turning water to wine was because all these people are there and, you, you know, they were without drink at a wedding and you didn't want to cause a celebration and mom's on your case. Come on, Jesus, do something. You know what I mean? What you, what you read here is, is a very interesting thing. But he says, so not to cause offense. Here's what I want you to do, Peter. Go to the lake, throw out your line. It's, a, it's the only place where you have really in Scripture, um, not fishing by nets, but fishing with a hook. It's so specific. It's so to the, to the exact subject. Throw out that line with a hook. And I love this too. Take the first fish you catch. Jesus must, God must love fish. They are the most obedient creature, I think, on the planet. You know, there's a time when this guy, Jonah, is running away from God and, and he says to this big fish, he says, you know what? Um, in a few moments, I want you to swing by this area and pick up a customer. 
I mean, it's the stories of these fish. You know, this little boy comes and he's got some loaves of bread and he's got two. And Jesus says, you know, here's some fish. You, you got this story of, of Jesus at one point and these disciples have been fishing all night. And he says to this school of fish, he kind of says, you know, just swirl around here and have a second swirl. I want you to come right by there. We're going to get a net and we're going to grab you all. Go out and, and Peter get a hook and a line and, and, some, and, and maybe some bait. It doesn't even say even there's bait on it, so we don't even know. And go out there and what I want you to do is fish because I'm going to have a fish come. Comes along, he's going to pick up a four drachma coin, not swallow it. It'll be in his mouth. You'll pull him out and you'll take the coin and you'll go down and I will provide for you. Here's the huge thing. Provision. God will miraculously provide for you in this place of delay, in this sense of you're under shame and guilt and you say how could I ever come into the presence of God because of what I know I've done in my life and you're living in this sense where you're the one maybe others have forgiven you but you can't forgive yourself Jesus says on the cross I've made atonement I didn't even have to do it but I love you so much I'll do it and so Peter would you go get that fish and bring the coin and pay my tax and your tax because I love you I love you When it comes to living in this kingdom, God will provide what you need. You go out here and you think, can I love the way that God wants me to love in this situation? You can't. Isn't that amazing? I can't. Can I become like Jesus in his character, in my strength and flesh? And can I eke it out? And, And what I find is I try hard and I try hard and I try hard and I try hard again. And eventually you just give up because you're finally hopefully broken. And then some people try hard. and You know what, Jesus, get off the try hard track. Get into the path where you recognize my grace and my love. Walk in this way. You are going to blow it. Every person here. Anybody not blowing it? Come on. Because you will, and Jesus will give you grace, and he will provide. There is a question that people are asking right now in our world like they have never asked before. They're looking at you. They're looking at your attitudes when it comes to what it means to be a citizen. This whole political, ugly, mean process and all this stuff going on. They're looking to see from your mouth is there venom that's coming out because you're upset about the things that are going on. It's all right to be upset and frustrated. Jesus showed those emotions. But yet we also understand that we live under a whole new government there's a principle. You are not a citizen of this land. This, this time will be short. There's a time when Jesus is coming. We do what we can as good citizens to help enact the things that we think should be enacted. But we do so with a spirit of love and graciousness so that when, when people see it... Can you imagine if President Obama had a whole group of people who voiced what they believed was true, but they did it in such a loving and gracious and merciful way? Don't you think he'd say, give me a whole bunch of these kind of citizens? When the vote's done, you get done, you walk away, and you may feel in your heart grieved because of what will happen, consequences. But you know this is the truth. There is a different kingdom you're meant for. And you can live in it today. With the goal being one law. It's so simple. You don't need lots of regulations. You don't need to carry a code book with you. You live with one law because it's on your heart by the Holy Spirit. It's love. And God even provides the love. If you're broken. In a place that says, I, I need to encourage, step out in faith, walk in the presence of God, that you might unleash in my character the power of God to do the things that I could never do, but you can provide. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head. We're going to pray. 
Jesus, I declare before you that we are a people that will walk like this. We are a people that will follow so hard on your footsteps that, God, people will look at us. And it's not because we're self-righteous. It's not because in some sense we stand arrogant that we've got something and too bad they don't. It's because we have been just like beggars who have been given the greatest gift that could ever be given. And that is a life relationship with you of intimacy in a kingdom that has begun when you established it through the cross and the resurrection that we live in now. And like, and like it says, a mustard seed, it will grow to be great. It will someday, like waters covering this earth, it will cover this earth. And we together as a people declare that and stand at it. And we're so grateful by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do this in us and through us in Christ's name. Amen.